Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 1, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. And today our topic is prayer. What does it really look like, and how do you have a quote-unquote active prayer life with Jesus? Now, prayer is one of those things that in the Church has probably the most uh, jingoism and cliché surrounding it of almost anything. Like, people will say things like, go into your prayer closet, or how's your prayer life today? And these are questions or phrases that we've heard for a long time if you've grown up in the Church, but when you slow down to pay attention to what they actually mean, we come up empty a lot. Our, our definitions of prayer are pretty much uh, in concrete from when we were little kids, and uh, it's not an issue that people typically gravitate to or even want to talk about because it's attached like a, a cart to the oxen uh, to a lot of shoulds and guilt and I'm not doing it enough, or I don't, even, I don't even know what this is. So today we're going to explore what prayer is through the eyes of Jesus. We're going to let Jesus teach us about what prayer is. Instead of us putting our definitions onto it, let's just let him be our rabbi and teach us what prayer really is. And I think it's going to be an, an energizing and freeing way of thinking about prayer. So if you're a new listener, my name is Rick. I'm author of The Jesus-Centered Life and editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, the Becky Nader. Hello! Happy 2017! Uh, and let her be the first to say that to you, or maybe the 5,000th person Probably the to have said that to you. Probably the 100th millionth. Yeah. So today we talk about prayer. Um, you know, prayer is often used in the context of our relationship with God or with Jesus, and uh, but we're we have a uh, Becky and I have talked about this. We've recognized that uh, basic things like prayer or reading the Bible or how how to feel guided by the voice of Jesus, these basic things that make up sort of the building blocks of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Often people uh, don't know. Um, where to get started with these things. It's almost as if in the Church we've assumed everyone already knows how to do these things, and therefore we spend no time really talking or, or discussing them or guiding people into them. Plus, prayer is one of those things that, uh, if you're like me, when you hear somebody mention it, it either is attached, as I said before, to guilt or you're just bored by it. The thought of, in fact, I, I read a book not long ago that was by a, um, a really excellent writer, and the whole thing was on prayer. I started reading this book with great expectation because I really love this writer, and about a half an hour in, I shut the book and I realized, this is so boring <laughs> to read what somebody else writes about prayer, just is so boring. There's something, there's a disconnect here somehow when we talk about prayer. But our podcast isn't going to be boring today. Oh, thank It'll be you. be fun. Wow, she, she's, she just saved us from the brink <laughs> we, of boredom. We, we promise you, stay, <laughs> keep listening. So we are going to lean into the pragmatics of what does it really mean to pray, because 
This is what children do. Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you better be like children. So let's be like children and relearn the basics, um, starting with prayer. Our friend uh, Candace, we were talking with her the other day, and she made a great observation about the role of effort and discipline, if you want to call it, throwing energy behind something. On this podcast, we have talked a lot about the fallacy of trying harder to get better and how that's really a false gospel. But the question still remains, well, what is the role of our effort? What is the role of our energy? And Candace made a good distinction. She was talking about uh, learning to water ski, and, and once you pop up on the surface, it's pretty choppy. It takes a lot of strength and focus and perseverance when you first pop up behind a boat when you're water skiing, because you're, you're skiing over the chop of the engine of the boat. But a- after you get acclimated, you can kind of veer over across the wake into the smoother water, and she said, that's, that's what most, what we might call spiritual disciplines are like. You get up, uh, it's kind of choppy, it takes some effort, but then you can move over across the wake, and then there's, there's very little energy expended. Then it's just all enjoyment. And I think that's a really good picture of what uh, it means to grow in these sort of building blocks of our life with Jesus. It may be a little choppy at the start, and you have to expend some energy just to get acclimated to it, but we want to quickly move across the wake into a place where it takes very little energy, and all it is is just flat enjoyment. So the Becky Nader went to our uh, go-to place on the internet, the Pinterest, to look into how prayer is really talked about, framed, considered. Um, How do people think about prayer in general, and uh, why don't you uh, dive into that, Becky? So we like to go to places like Instagram and and Pinterest because we know a lot of you are on there and you're seeing messages in this sort of constant and visual way, and they can start to to become like truth to you. And I, I was kind of sad when I read this one because one of the things about prayer is I feel like a lot of times we feel like maybe we shouldn't go there. Like, like oh, I can't talk to God right now. I, 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 I'm not in the right place. So this one said, it requires faith. It requires being right with God. It requires the right motives. It requires a clean conscience. And it requires praying God's will. Wow, that's five requires. I know. I was really sad when I read this because I thought, well, then I'm just, I can't ever pray. (laughs) That's it. My prayer life is officially over. (laughs) Oh, I only got three requires and I needed two. I had two more requires to go. So I, I think that it's really important for us when we are reading these social media things that we kind of evaluate their their truth. And even and even how it how you feel inside, which is what you just did, when you read a description like that, which is saying essentially that the message underneath there is are you up for it? Are you ready to do some work? Are you ready to uh, clear, clear the bar um, with all of this? And is that really what Jesus intended? when he invited us into a conversational, intimate relationship with him. Is that really what he intended? You you also found some things that famous speakers and writers have said about prayer. We're not going to name who the people are. We're just going to kind of blow through a few things that people have said about prayer uh, just to set us up for our conversation. So uh, one of them said, People on sinking ships do not complain of distractions during their prayer. Hmm. And what they're saying really is, when you're really desperate, and this is so true, people often, if you ask them, when do you pray? Well, when I'm in crisis. When I'm really desperate, 
then I pray because all of my arguments against it are gone. I'm desperate. I need somebody to come through and help me. So prayer is often couched in terms of desperation. Here's another one. This, this author said, I interviewed ordinary people about prayer. Typically, the results went like this. Is prayer important to you? Oh, yes. Well, how often do you pray? Every day. Uh, approximately how long? Well, five minutes. Well, maybe seven. Do you sense the presence of God when you pray? Occasionally, but not often. Well, many of those I talked to experienced prayer more as a burden than as a pleasure. They regarded it as important and even paramount and felt guilty about their failure, blaming themselves. Does this sound familiar? So I thought this was a great uh, exposition of kind of what we commonly think about prayer in our interior life. We want to be the kind of people, especially Christian people, who pray. So it's very hard for us to answer, no, we don't pray ever. Um, And we want to be the kind of people, Christian people, who pray often. But then when we get down to it, um, what we have to admit is that it feels more like a task on our task list, a burden or a pleasure, uh, instead of a pleasure. So prayer here is couched as, as, as a checkoff box on our task list as Christians. Here's, here's a, a one last little quote from a popular author. When I don't get an answer to prayer, I first look at my life. I look at my relationship with my wife. I check my motives. So this is an interesting statement, even in an answer to prayer. What people, I think, typically mean by that is, when I don't get a yes to my request, (laughs) an answer means yes. An answer doesn't mean no. And so what he's really saying here is, when I don't get what I want when I pray, then I must have done something wrong. So I then go examine my motives, I I look at my relationships, and I see if I've done something wrong to block the, the response back, which should be a yes from it. So it's a very functional way of, of thinking about prayer. If I do this, I should get this. Well, and that goes back to the, the perfectionist um, Pinterest m- meme that was, you know, if you have everything perfect in your life, then you're going to get what you want. And so then you can go to God, and you can pray for what you want, and then, you know, he'll give it to you which is very consistent with young people that I've talked to, especially in that 18 to 25 range. They feel like, I'm not right, I can't pray, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so what you're seeing is you've, you've got a whole group of people who are trying harder to get better, um, that are really working on that perfectionism so that they can, you know, have communication with God. And then you have a whole large, almost two generations now of people who feel like, I can't talk to God. I mean, how can I? I? My life is not in a place where I can talk to Him. Yeah, and we don't want to ever give the impression that the, the, a life of following Jesus is easy. Mm-hmm. In fact, Jesus said the opposite would be true. You've got some hard things in front of you if you're going to follow me. But it is simple in, the, in, in, this, in this way. Following Jesus and paying ridiculous attention to Him for the purpose of becoming more intimate mm-hmm. with him, understanding his heart more deeply, becoming more deeply fascinated with the things he said and did, because they're so surprising. That is simple. There is a simple way to live your life where everything is oriented around the pursuit of Jesus himself. 
Not the pragmatic outcome of that, not the tips and techniques for how to make your life better, just the simple pursuit of Jesus. That's why everything that we do, Becky, here on Paying Ridiculous Attention, is really about simply pursuing Jesus. So the way we start this conversation about what prayer really is, is we go back to Jesus. We go back to what did he say about prayer, what was his hope for it, and what, what can we learn from what he says about prayer so that this becomes more like breathing in our lives rather than a, the thing that we only do when we're desperate or we're checking off a box or we're doing it because it's a transaction. How can it be a regular, enjoyable, uh, invigorating part of our life? So I thought it would be good to go back to what we now commonly call the Lord's Prayer. If you've learned one thing growing up in the church when you were a kid, you learned John 3.16, and you learned the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is often repeated in church services as an actual segment of the service itself. It's his, his exact words are repeated, so we've grown up around it. But one of the things that, that uh, has made this, the Lord's Prayer, a little twisted in the way that we've experienced it, is we've taken it out of context. We've forgotten that this was part of a conversation originally that Jesus was having with his disciples, who were very curious, just as we are, about, well, what does it mean to pray? They had been taught a certain way, as good Hebrew Jewish kids, what prayer meant, and, and all of the accessories that went with it, and they saw Jesus behaving differently around prayer, and so they were curious. They wanted to know, what is this thing called prayer? So let me just read you the context leading into the Lord's Prayer, so we get an on-ramp into this, and so you get the sense, again, that this was simply part of a conversation he was having with his disciples. He wasn't intending this to be used verbatim as a part of our church services. It's not that it's wrong to do that, but that wasn't his original intention. This was part of a conversation he was having with his disciples. So here's what he says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they'll ever get. But when you pray... Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. He's saying, don't try to leverage, don't use prayer as leverage or a transaction. Don't don't follow a formula in prayer. Don't use it as a tool to get what you want. And then here's what he says. Instead, pray like this. Now, those three words, I just want to stop for a second. Jesus said, pray like this. So he's saying, in the way that I'm about to pray, pay attention, because this is kind of sort of how it's it's a good idea to pray. And then here's what he says. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So let's slow down and deconstruct this a little bit. 
When Jesus says, pray like this, we have to ask the question of ourselves, what is he praying like? I mean, what, what, are, what are the components of this? What, what, what is he wanting us to notice? And so he starts by saying, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So if we're going to pray like Jesus, here he is so affectionate at the start. We don't usually associate the word holy with affection, but what he's really saying is, I love your name. I love everything about you. I love how you are wired. I love your personality. I love how true you are. I love how there's no shade of darkness in you. I love how I can count on you. I can trust you to my very core. I know that I can trust your love. This is what he's really trying to convey, a great and deep affection for his Father. And then he moves into, may your kingdom come soon. What is he saying here? He's saying, oh, my Father, I I so hope that the way you do things, the way you do things in your kingdom, the things that you value, the things that you care about, oh, I hope that that kingdom invades this darkness soon, because the way these people live is in darkness. They're lost, and I'm longing for your way of life to become normal amongst them. I'm longing for them to be freed from the darkness and captivity of their everyday lives so that they can be set free into the way you live. I want your kingdom to come. Becky, with those first two things, what do you notice that I didn't just now? What, when, he, when he starts off addressing his father first and then asking that the kingdom would come, any thought pop into your head? Well, we've talked about this before in prior episodes in season one, but living with a kingdom mindset, also hoping for his will instead of our own. Oftentimes we think of prayer as a time to go and get what we want from God. And there's nothing wrong with asking God when you need help. That's absolutely a, a, um, a thing that he wants you to come to him for. But it's also a time to ask him, what do you want for my life? Who am I? Who, who are the people around me that you want me to see more clearly? And that's about inviting his will into your life, which is a totally and completely different experience. Which leads right into what he says next. He says, may your will be done on earth. And what he's saying here is, again, he's asking us, look at how I'm praying right now, and I'm telling you to pray like this. So what I'm doing right now when I say, uh, may your will be done on earth, he's saying, Father, I love how you do things so much. I love your intentions for what you want of us so much that I want what you want here on earth. I want your will to to be prominent here on earth because the way that you want us to go is so good. So please help plant it in in my reality. And then he goes very practical. He, He says, give us the food we need today. I just love this. For all of the people who think that there are some things that are too little to pray about, or you know, we compartmentalize parts of our life. Some, th- some parts of our life are spiritual, some are not. He's trying to say, nope, nope, there's no compartments. Ask God for the things that you need today, and even the most basic necessities. I need food. 
Ask him for those things. I need to figure out how to get an hour's worth of work done in 15 minutes. There you go. The, those are like, or I really need to find a way for my toddler who has a, a fever to give me a chance to take a nap for one hour today. Yes. <laughs> These are all legitimate things. My friend Steph, she said that the other day she was looking at her tea canister and realizing that she was almost out and that she'd have to order it online. And so she just asked God, could you please multiply this so that I have enough for the end of the week? I love that so much. (laughs) And you know what's happening there underneath the surface is she. prayer involves two things, self-awareness and awareness of Jesus. There's no requirements here. It just involves these things. What Steph was, was aware of her need. Oh my gosh, I'm going to run out of tea. I don't want to go to the store. That, that's one of those minor, insignificant, oh, we could never, why, why would we bring that to Jesus? But it's part of the flow of our life, and he wants to be part of every aspect of the flow of our life. So she's conscious of a need, and then she invites Jesus into that need. It's as simple as that. I know it doesn't feel simple when you're riding a bike for the first time. It feels like the most complicated thing in the world. But after you've fallen down a few times and finally gotten your balance, it is the easiest thing in the world. If you've been riding a bike for a long time, it's not hard to get back on the bike, balance it, and go somewhere. That's what this is like. When you start to be aware of your own needs, and therefore you think not just, I have a need, but, oh, I have a need that I'd like to invite Jesus into— once you do that, it, then it becomes like breathing. Then you can't stop yourself. You'll find yourself sharing stuff with him and inviting him into things that you never would have thought, and you're, you actually might be embarrassed to tell others that you're inviting him into. But that, that's where it gets really good, when Jesus starts to get involved in the everyday minor things of your life. So next he says, forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Wow, this is just loaded here. When he says pray like this, he's saying be honest about the stuff that you know is going on inside of you. Be honest about it. Get it out in the light. It's healthy for you to get your darkness into the light. So get it out there and ask for forgiveness. But here's the little P.S. he adds on to the end of it. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. So then he's planting this little seed in there, like, think about how you're forgiving the others in your life, and before you come to me and ask to be cleaned by me, how are you living this out with the people in your life? Because both are important. That's why he told the parable of the two debtors. He he was expressly trying to say that you can't treat, you, you can't be forgiven a great debt and then go out and beat somebody who owes you a much lesser debt to get them to pay it to you. He's, he's trying to say these two things are connected here. He also is recognizing that we have sin in our life. Y- you know, it's just like, hey, I know, I know it's there, and I know that there's people that you need to forgive, and, and so let's just deal with it. Let's just be honest about it. Let's just, you know, let's just move on from that. He's not holding it over your head in shame. He's He's just saying, look, I understand. You, you, you know, this is human nature, and this is how it is. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm helping you. He closes this whole thing off by saying, don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. What a place of humility. What a place of, of attachment and of dependence. 
that Jesus is speaking about here. So again, as we're trying to learn from how he prayed to pray like this, what we say to ourselves is, when I pray, I just want to be honest about how easy it is to yield to temptation, and instead of trusting my own strength and will to stay on top of it, I'm going to ask for his help. I say that when I pray, some, some aspects of how I pray come, come back over and over again. I find myself very often during the day saying something like, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Because I'm aware of my weakness, I'm aware of my own bent toward temptation, and I'm inviting his strength to come into my weakness. And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to do when we pray, to literally ask him, rescue me from the evil one who's trying to tempt me or trying to sift me right now. Rescue me from it. I'm not trusting myself. I'm going to trust you to do that. I love how he ends with that. I also think that God is constantly asking for honesty from us. And it's oftentimes I'll talk to young people just because I love hanging out with young people. And I will say, you know, you know, how, how are, how are things with you and God? And they'll, they'll admit to me because we're friends. I'm a little distant and I'll ask why. And they'll say things like, I'm just having doubts. I'm having doubts about him or I'm, I'm really struggling because I, I don't agree with this thing that, that, that is said in the Bible. And I'll ask them, well, have you talked to him about that? And that is usually marked with confusion. Like, why would you, you can't talk to God about those things, right? And he wants us to talk to him about everything. If if you're having doubts, he wants to hear about it. If you're, if you're wondering like, why did you do this? Why did you say that? He wants to hear about that too. And I think oftentimes, especially I see in younger people that they, they use those ways as a, a a divisiveness to keep them from, from praying and, and really, Jesus wants us to come to him for everything and with everything. Even in the way you're describing that, um, it's, it's so easy for us to, to slip into ways of describing this as a one-way communication. Mm-hmm. Prayer is really about getting my agenda out there for him, but we don't really act like this is a conversation between friends, because we don't know how that looks when we can't actually see that other friend. Um, what, how does this even work that prayer becomes a conversation instead of a list of, of needs or wants or, or whatever it is? Uh, that If it's going to be uh, part of an ongoing intimate uh, friendship with Jesus, then it has to be two-way. It has to be a conversation. So what we're going to do now is, is kind of shift gears into some pragmatic examples of kind of a menu of possibilities of how to explore prayer in maybe in some ways that you never have before that can free you so that this becomes more like breathing in your life. So, uh, uh, Becky, why don't you start? So we're going to publish these two in writing because I know that a lot of you tell us that you are driving or you're doing other things while you listen. So um, if these are things that you don't have time to write down, we're going to include them in the podcast description. But the first one is prayer journaling. And this was, this is personally, this is how I started praying. I just have, you know, I have a hard time concentrating sometimes and my mind is all over the place. And when I was in my early 20s, I would often fall asleep every time I tried to pray. So I was clearly 
not understanding the concept. But I started this and I've gone through seasons where I do this. I've gone through seasons where I don't do this. This is not something that you have to do and, you know, do it right. But I just, I had a journal and I would just write down everything. It was like a conversation. I would just be sharing about my day, talking about things I was worried about. I would talk a lot about things that were worrying me or make me sad or angry. And I would ask questions. And if I got an answer, then I would write it down. If I didn't, then I would just move on. And I still go back and look at all the great things that God has done through my prayer journals over the years. So that's one one way that you can try. And you know, the, the journaling is, is my wife Bev's favorite go-to way of prayer. It allows her the time to think through what it is she's really concerned about, to get in touch with what's going on inside process of it. her, to process it first. Mm-hmm. So that th- the point of this, the reason why it's her go-to form is it, it it allows her a greater level of honesty to be able to think it out and write it down. Then it's out. It comes from the darkness into the light. She can see it, and then it becomes more real to her when she writes it in her in her prayer journal. You know, I bet a lot of people that are listening to this right now, one of the huge impediments for you with prayer is that you're a kinetic person. Um, my wife is also a kinetic person, so when she's really upset, it doesn't do any good for me to try to keep her in one place, like, let's hash this out in the kitchen, honey. She can't stand that. She has to get out of the house. She has to be walking. So I'll often give her a, a little head start, <laughs> and then I'll go catch up to her. And we will walk and talk through the the conflict that we've just had. Walking allows her to get out what's inside. It, it really is a kinetic thing. So we also pray better, the two of us, um, when we're walking. We take a, a, a daily walk. We have a little Bajan Frise, so we're, we have an excuse to walk around our neighborhood every day. We either go a mile or two miles every day, and on those walks, um, there are times when we are talking about something that is of uh, concern to both of us, whether it's about our kids or something else, and one or the other of us will say, well, let's just pray when, as we walk then. And it's a much more conversational, it becomes part of the conversation that she and I are having. It's not a, a transition into an oh, formal way of praying, it's simply conversational. So we just talk to Jesus about the very things we were just talking about in the same way we were just talking about them. And I will say something, she might react to it. When we're done, we know we're done. So it's not a formal way of prayer, but it is very much embedded in our everyday life. So I either drive to or or from work with Jesus every day. So I'll either, if I feel like in the morning I just need some clarity going into work, um, I'll just picture him sitting next to me in the passenger seat, have about a 30-minute drive, and I'll just talk as if some as if my best friend was sitting right next to me about what's going on and, you know, hash things out and listen. Sometimes I put on worship music, but that's just a way that I kind of interact with Jesus every day. Another way that makes this much more two-way and conversational is I will often um, just ask Jesus, how, how do you want me to pray right now? I don't even know how to pray. If this gets back to when Jesus said, pray like this. Um, toward the end of what he did, he was expressing dependence and attachment. He was humbly saying, um, I'm going to depend on you for this now. So often I'll, I'll just stop and say, Jesus, how do you want me to pray right now? What is it that, need, that we need to talk about? And then I'll be quiet, and I'll, then I'll just go with whatever pops into my head. 
part of this is just becoming like a child again. We've talked about this in previous podcasts where we enter the mindset of a child so that when I ask for guidance about how to pray and I'm silent, like a kid, I just go with the first thing that comes, pops into my head then. And the more you do that, the more easy this becomes, this conversational side, the more easy um, it is to embrace what pops up in your head. And then it is a two-way conversation. Now you're praying in a way that's been guided and led by him first, so you're focusing on the things he really wants to. So re- related to Rick's walks around the around with his dog and his wife, um, a lot of people like to use their body as a form of prayer. Um, some people dance and sing. Others do yoga or, or running. There's holy yoga, which is sprouted up around the country, which is an hour-long kind of prayer worship service with Jesus. So that's another way. Maybe you're very active, and that's a way that you can connect with Jesus is when you're doing that. And maybe one of your primary forms of communication involves technology. Maybe, um, like teenagers today, their primary form of communication today is texting. Well, maybe you text a lot, or maybe you are on Facebook uh, trying to develop your relationships with people. Why not um, just take the momentum that already exists in your life and use those technologies or those tools to help you pray? So you could even text God if you wanted to. (laughs) Now, I don't know who you'd send it to. You might send it to yourself if you want. But um, if texting is a normal part of the way that you're building relationships with others, try texting some of your prayers to God and see how that works. Or try posting some of your prayers to Facebook. Um, If that's a way that you help build relationship, post something to Facebook that throws it out there to God. Now, I'm not promising exactly that God is going to text you back or he's going to update his status for you, but this could be a practice that you can creatively figure out how to use your existing momentum and just simply turn it toward your relationship with God and begin to use it that way. The last one is going to be getting out in nature. There's something that somebody said this in the um, when we were brainstorming the other day, and I don't know who I'm quoting right now, but there's something about being in nature that draws us into have a higher gratitude for God and appreciate what He created, um, and that is so true. There's something about we live in Colorado, so every time I go for a hike and I'm up in the mountains, it's like, whoa, God, I can't believe you made this. Or um, I'm from California, and when I used to be out in the ocean, you know, just such beauty. So if you have a place where you can get out in nature, sometimes just uh, admiring what he created just gives you awe. Part of the reason for that is that in Romans 1, Paul says that God has planted himself in every created thing. And so when you are surrounded by creation, you're, you're actually surrounded by the fingerprints of God. And it, it in, in a kind of a subtle, nuanced way, draws us to him and we want to, the, our natural inclination is to worship then when we are in the presence of God. So that's why so many people love to be out in nature. They have this um, sense that they're immersed in the character and personality of God when they're there. It's a, it's a great place to help spur conversational relationship with Jesus. All of this, by the way, is leveraged and, and has momentum as we get closer to Jesus as we, as we lean into him, as we become more intimate with him, prayer becomes like more and more like breathing to us because 
we can't help ourselves. We, we, when we are in awe of him or fascinated by him or magnetically drawn to him, we long to speak out of that, to connect with him out of that. So prayer becomes a more natural thing and a less of a checkbox the closer you get to him. That's why the focus of this podcast is on paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. Everything springs from that. As we pay better attention to him, he immerses us in him, and these things become natural fruits of our relationship. So gang, thanks for listening today. Remember, you can find out more information about everything we talked about here today, but in further detail on the JesusCenteredLife.com. Find our podcast section and find Season 2, Episode 1. Again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest podcasts. We'll talk next time. Bye-bye. Bye.